Good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be with you. Thank you for uh, our worship team leading us in worship. Thank you to Paul for that prayer as we try to center ourselves on God this morning. An exciting thing that is coming up next week, Elise Hayes will be preaching for us, which is going to be awesome. I'm super excited. I got to talk with her about her message, and she has a great word for us that I'm just really excited. Elise is just a deeply spiritual woman, someone that spiritually I look up to. Uh, She's a a real prayer warrior, and so I'm really looking forward to her message next week. So hopefully you're not so excited about that that you don't pay attention to me for the next 20 minutes, but uh, we're super excited to have Elise share a word uh, for us next week, and please make sure that you join us for that. We're continuing our series called God is Here, where we're thinking about a simple but so profound reality from Scripture that God is here with us. Last week, we talked about the important concept that when God is introduced in Exodus chapter 3, that when Moses says, well, what is your name? God says, Yahweh, which is just very simply two breaths. And we can think of that as God saying, I'm as close as your next breath. And that continues to be the story of Scripture. But I don't think we necessarily get that right all the time. There's been a a phenomenon that has happened in my lifetime uh, with survival shows, the most famous of which being literally Survivor. And in those shows, we see something about us. There's an author named David McQueen who says this, I think survival shows parallel the way most people feel about life. Life is uncertain and difficult. We're surviving. We're scared and looking for security. I think at the end of the show, when the character's safe again, we breathe a sigh just like they do. For a moment, we think everything might be all right with us, with us too. And I think that's right. So we've had all these shows like Survivor, or you've seen Bear Grylls who gets dropped off in these horribly difficult remote situations. Possibly my favorite show, I haven't actually seen it, but just based on the title, I think I might like it the most. It's called Fat Guys in the Woods. That one sounds like a, a really good time, but we've basically tried to exhaust all these different types of Survivor shows because even if someone doesn't, you know, make it in the end and is able to make it however long they're supposed to be in the wilderness or Bear Grylls meets some that he can't get through. We get to see that person at the end of the show in safety, perhaps back home and reflecting on their experience. And I think we have this deep desire in, in us to think, yeah, I'm all right. And I think at times the church leads a little bit into that message. And sometimes our message gets a little bit too simplistic because of it. Because oftentimes when we think about the presentation of of the gospel, it's about some sort of hell avoidance where you want to be forgiven of your sins so that you can one day not have to go to a really, really terrible place. And so we can just start to have in our minds this message that is about how do I get to heaven? When scripture calls us to think, how do I get heaven here? Not how do I get to heaven? But how do I participate and bring heaven here? How do I make my neighborhood more like heaven? How do I make my family more like heaven? How do I make our world more like heaven? And that's such an important distinction and something that I think we often miss out on. In the book of Jonah, Jonah is presented as the worst missionary ever. 
And Jonah finally preaches his sermon in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. And it tells us that he begins by going a day's journey into the city, which is a little bit of a hint that he's not doing his job all that well because this is a very massive city. It would have taken three to five days to walk into. And so he's just barely into the city. He doesn't want to do this task. So he's barely just on the outside of town. Just imagine Jonah in Palmdale, for example, in L.A. Palmdale is a part of L.A. County. But shout out to Tony Sias, our Palmdale resident who's part of our church and the one who makes me the second best rapper in our church. And so he's out in Palmdale, basically. And yes, technically it's L.A. County, but I don't know that Palmdale would claim L.A. And L.A. doesn't really necessarily claim Palmdale all that much. Just imagine that he's preaching out in Palmdale and he says, you know, 40 more days and L.A. will be overthrown. And remember, Jonah doesn't want to be there. He's called to do this, and he doesn't want to go there because there's legitimate beef between Israel and the Assyrians, and he doesn't want to do this. And so he goes completely in the opposite direction to Tarshish, as far away in the known world that you could go. The whale fish thing scoops him up, brings him, vomits him on shore, and then he goes and preaches a very half-hearted attempt, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And in the great irony, it truly is a very funny story. The book of Jonah is fantastic. The whole city turns around. The king says, all right, let's have this declaration. Everybody needs to turn their lives around. Even the animals are supposed to fast. And it's not at all what Jonah wants. But Jonah's message is presented to us as how not to preach to people. It's awful. It's intended to show us this is how you shouldn't communicate the gospel. This is not how you should tell people about what God is doing in the world. But what's terrifying to me is that if you were to ask Christian people, and then perhaps people who don't go to church, who have no participation in the gospel, what is the message of the church? I think many people would say, turn or burn. Repent. Or burn forever in hell. And I would actually slightly argue that Jonah's message is a little bit better than that because at least he's talking about a time period within life. In 40 days, this is going to happen. This is actually going to happen in in your city. The way that you live right now, it doesn't just have implications for after you die. It has implications for soon. In reality, right here. But it's presented as a terrible, like very uninspiring sermon. And again, I would argue that in the typical kind of American church, the message is turn or burn. That's what a lot of us might say. And that's what the outside world thinks. But it's so important for us to claim a deeper understanding of what it means. That yes, sin forgiveness is a part of what God does when we repent As people who, I think, love Acts 2.38 when Peter calls the people to be baptized. And we love baptism. If you aren't baptized, I'd love to talk with you about that. Communicate with someone on the chat because baptism is important and it's essential as we respond to God. Peter says, repent all of you and be baptized so your sins will be forgiven. And that's awesome. Praise God for that. But there's a second sentence after that. And then, as a gift, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the very presence of God. 
And I would argue in, in my denomination, in my history, we've been pretty good at the first part of that. But the Holy Spirit stuff, we're like, ah, oh, that's a little bit too weird. But that is a central message. That is what Peter says this Christian faith is about. That in a real way, you receive the, the very presence of God. Can we all use that right now? Because what happens when we just preach this message about a heaven that's far off in the distance and not really here, it's that life becomes irrelevant. The stuff that happens besides your hour or so on Sunday morning when you check a box becomes irrelevant. But when we say, God, let me join you in bringing heaven here, we recognize that things like litter are a spiritual problem. Because we need to participate in taking care of God's world. When we think about bringing heaven here, we recognize that when we feed a hungry person, we are feasting with God. God invites you to recognize that God can invade every part of your life. Jesus talks more about the kingdom of God than anything else. And that's basically just meaning the reality of God. The reality of God is here for all of you. And the question is, will we be aware of it and wake up to it? And it changes everything for us. It changes how we view our faith. I think ultimately it also helps us as we think about becoming better people, becoming formed more like Jesus in our lives. Understanding there is an active God, an active presence and spirit that we are pursuing. We aren't just going to a place to check off a box. We are pursuing God together as a community. I love how Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. He says, God placed all things under his feet, the feet of Jesus. And appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The center of our church is not me. It's not our leaders. It's not those who lead us in worship. It's not those who lead ministries. The center of our church, which we sang so beautifully, Jesus is the center of it all. And what that leads to is a certain kind of fullness and deeper understanding of God's spirit and presence. And Paul says Jesus fills everything in every way. That is what we are trying to do and pursue as a church. The Jesus who fills everything in every way. And oftentimes when we think about church, it's this place that we go and we take an hour and we spend that time, but Paul invites us to broaden that understanding that we are the church together and what we are doing is not just participating in this thing so our sins are forgiven, but pursuing God together. And what if that could be said about us, that perhaps somebody who doesn't want to participate in our church or in a church in general could say, yeah, that's not really for me, but I can't deny that God's Spirit is among those people. That God's Spirit is forming them in a certain sort of way. That that church is, is diverse and different people are coming together with different ideas and different backgrounds because God must be in their midst. And they're serving and, and doing good things in the world because God must be 
in their midst. Maybe they would never want to participate or come, but they would be able to say, I just can't deny that there's something different about that group because God is present there. One of the things that I miss the most about my ministry duties during the time of coronavirus is being able to serve the meal at the Essentia shelter every month. I love going there and shout out to everybody who has given food during the pandemic to continue to serve on the days that we are serving. A special shout out to Lincoln and Cecilia Spear who served spaghetti last week. And if you missed their video, you have to go to our Facebook page or uh, on our Instagram so you can see her talk about her sauce that was made with love. It really was very touching to see Cecilia share about that. So thank you to you and everybody who is, is bringing food to the shelter. But what I miss most in, in my ministry, the ongoing task, one of the things I miss the most is being able to go to the shelter uh, on the second Sunday of the month. And when we're there, usually you all are so helpful that there's plenty of people serving in the back. And I just get a chance to sit with some of the people who are at the Essentia shelter. And I have to tell you, it's, it's in that time, it's something that I've learned over the years, just serving there and being there. I'm really moved in those moments because I, I know for a fact that if Jesus were alive, that's a place he would be. And I don't say that to like pat myself on the back because again, it's like part of my job and it's something I've learned over the course of, of my job that I'm there. But I know that's one time during the month, I just know it's a place that Jesus would be. Because I'm there sitting amongst these men and women, there are things that God does in, in my heart that are just so important. I realize that I'm just a bad break or two away from being in a situation like them. When I go home, I hug my wife a little bit tighter and I'm a little more patient with my kids. When I'm there at the Essentia Shelter, my friends there talk way more about God than my affluent friends do. And there are things that I learn in that place because I think I'm more attentive to God's spirit and leading. And I just know that if Jesus were around, Jesus would be among the poor. And I think I learn the most from that space because I'm just more attentive to it. And I think I, myself, need to be more attentive to God's spirit on Tuesday as well. Because there are things that I learn about myself, sometimes things I don't want to learn, but there's things I learn about myself that are on Tuesday. They're just as important as what I learn on Sunday. And even on those times, on Sundays at Ascensi or during our gatherings, I know that I can tune my heart a little bit more to recognize that what we are doing when we gather together is we are pursuing God's spirit and presence right here and now. Not off in a distance, not way off in the future, but right here and right now. And we remember together that God is here. That as we come together in the weekly gatherings that we have, which we're praying that we would be able to do that soon. And more than that, we're praying that coronavirus would stop in our world. But as we gather, we gather as just a conglomeration showing us what God is like because there's somebody who's there every single Sunday who just barely got there, 
who doesn't even believe that she deserves to be there. And there's somebody who is really excited about what God is is doing in, in his or her life. And we as a community recognize then that God is present for both those people and in both those realities. And we as a community help to remember that, tune our hearts and our minds to that frequency. May we recognize that when we come back together, what we are doing is we are pursuing God together, not just for that one hour, but so that we can see God everywhere else. That we can remember who we're called to be. That we can see that the person who who just barely made it and maybe has a little bit more awareness of the need that he or she has for the presence of God, is able to commune with God just as much as the one who's feeling pretty good about life. There's a story I read recently about Albert Einstein. In 1934, he was on staff and and teaching for that year at Princeton, and the real great mathematician of our day. And a woman in his neighborhood had a daughter who was in fifth grade who was struggling with math. And the girl just walked up one day. She's in fifth grade and saw Albert Einstein out on his porch and didn't know who he was and just said to him, you look like you'd be good at math. Which, of course, Albert Einstein was. And um, she said, would you help me with math? And he was happy to do so. And he started tutoring her weekly. She would show up on his porch, and teach fifth grade math to this girl. She told her mom her grades improved, and she said, when he talks about numbers, I can understand. Of course, because he's Albert Einstein. It's actually somewhat remarkable that he was able to translate this to this fifth grade math situation. I think it's a helpful metaphor to think of that as we Think about the the problems in our lives, the struggles that we're having. As Paul said earlier, we had an earthquake this week. Just another thing to check off on the bingo card in 2020. As we struggle with the hard realities that we are all facing, we have a God who is available to us, who's helped people through anxious situations before. And just like this girl who was helped by Albert Einstein with fifth grade math. We have a God who can sit with us, who could hold our hand, who can walk with us as we go through difficult times, as we go through times of celebration. What we are as a church is a group of people just trying our best to recognize and be attentive to God's work and God's calling in the world. As we think about one day being back together in person, may we recognize that church isn't a place you go. Church is about becoming a people. It's about God working in our midst. I have a friend named Ryan Lassiter who ministers for a church in Alabama, and he recently put this up as a Facebook status and reflection on this time. I don't have the words below me. I just want you to, to hear them. He said this, I'm thinking about how when I read the Gospels, 
Jesus is a calming, non-anxious presence in the midst of a really anxious world. Jesus doesn't fret over politics, and even when he seemingly comes down on the religious elite, he's still got a peaceful presence that we're drawn to. I'm thinking the world is pretty anxious right now, about as anxious of a time as I can remember in my short 36 years. I'm also thinking about what a countercultural move it would be for followers of Jesus to back out of the fray, come off the ledge, maybe sign off social media for a while if needed, and cultivate a non-anxious presence in the midst of an anxious world. I'm thinking that that work can only come through truly seeking God, through prayer, silence, scripture, and community. Yeah, there are major problems in our world that we need to be active about addressing. But let us also do so as we dwell and think about the peaceful, non-anxious presence of Christ. May we understand that what we are doing as a church together is seeking the heart of Jesus. That has implications for so many things, but it helps us to be non-anxious people who walk into really hard situations and have really great presence about us. As there's anxiety over so much, may we continue to still our hearts on our God because our God is alive. God's presence is with us. I was thinking this week about masks, partly because my mom sent me a great picture of uh, someone who looked like my wife. If you didn't know my wife was singing today, here's a picture that my mom sent me. And it looks very much like my wife. My mom said, wow, I didn't know Mandy had a side hustle of um, cleaning off the podium at the coronavirus briefings. And this picture does look a lot like her. Uh, And also I'm very confused by the woman in the background who looks very angry. I don't know what she's so angry about as this cleaning is happening. But my mom sent me this picture. It just just cracked me up because I was like, wow, Manny, I guess uh, we might have to create some space if that's what you're doing. Like, we got to be a little careful if you're out there on the front lines doing this. Have you had that experience where you run into somebody who you think you might know because they're wearing a mask and you can't quite tell? I've had that happen multiple times. I think it is that person, but I'm not quite sure. Our world with masks is certainly a very strange place. And as we think about one day coming back together as, as church and churches around are having that debate. In our church, when we come together, we will wear masks because science, but... I know that it's frustrating. I know there are churches who are just like, oh, we shouldn't wear masks. And, blah, and I, I, I don't understand why that's a hill to die on for some people, but for some people it is. The same thing was happening during the 1918 pandemic and the same conversation uh, was happening. But I want to be a place that really values human life and does whatever it is possible to get through this as, as safely and, and humanely as possible. And if wearing a mask for a while makes a difference and we, we need to do that. But I find it so interesting, these articles that I'm seeing, like, should people in churches wear masks? And I just laugh to myself thinking, we've been wearing masks forever at church. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, we haven't had the cloth ones or those things, but let's be honest about the fact that we've been wearing masks at church for a really long time. That 
we go in there sometimes as a church arguing in the car on the way there, and then we pick up that argument when we get back in the car. Or really, like, our life is, is hard, and things are difficult, and we need somebody to talk to, but we don't. Or we're celebrating something that God has done, but we don't have the courage to go up and say it to somebody. We've been wearing masks in church for a really long time. And I hope that one day when we get back together, perhaps we can take those off a bit. I was at a youth retreat once many years ago when I was a youth group intern, and we were having a time of confession, and this little girl raises her hand, and she says, well, at break time, Susan was smoking cigarettes. And we said, all right, thank you, but... Um, that's not what this is about. Susan, do you have anything to confess? No, we didn't, we didn't say that. I think often as we think about church, it's a place where we show up and we don't think about the things that we perhaps do need to confess and not for other people, but the things that we need to say to somebody. Ways that spiritually we can wear these masks that I hope moving forward we can take off so we can be the people of God, that we can allow God to work in us in the places that we really need to be worked on. Because just showing up in the parking lot at church is making a confession that I need God. I need God's work in my life. I need God to continue to work in me. I need to be inspired and think about seeing God here so I can see God everywhere else. May we learn just in our church experiences as we come together, people who sometimes are very much hurting and people sometimes who are very much celebrating to recognize that what we are saying is that we can seek God together in those high highs and those low valleys because God is there. God is here with us in every single moment as close as our breath.